is 935 and joining me now our good friend master gardener Barb Lanson. Good morning Barb. Hey there Karen it's so good to be here this morning. It is and you know the temp's a little bit above normal now so right. it's um, kind of nice not to have that very very cold stuff but uh, I'm still not able to do go outside and do anything so what have you been doing? Oh my gosh I, I am so busy. Let me let me tell you one thing I want. My husband left me with these words this morning. I said to him, you know, it is so beautiful outside this morning. The trees are covered with frost, and the shapes of the trees look so great. And my husband said, you know, it's like beautiful flowers. It's like flowers on the tree. It's, it's you know, I don't even miss the green when they look so beautiful. And I thought, yes, David, you're absolutely and right. And the other day, I think it had been a little icy. And so it started to melt. And as we were driving along the road and the sun was shining, the trees just sparkled with that because they were just glass. And it's yes. just so beautiful. So, I mean, even in the winter, there's beauty there in is. the plants and the structure. Oh, this is funny. Sometimes when I go along and drive, you know, most people are paying attention. I mean, I pay attention to my driving, but how you notice different things. So this morning I'm driving the boys to work and I go, that tree's an accident waiting to happen because it had been pruned with too sharp of a uh, angle. The crotch was so like oh, a sharp, sharp V. Yes. So yep. that's the kind of thing I notice in, in addition to the beauty, but I also notice <laughs> projects. <laughs> well, that is so true. You know, and this is a great time too, talking about pruning when the leaves are off the trees and off the shrubs. And it's dormant. And it's dormant. You can certainly see where you need to prune. And, uh, you know, uh, you might want to just, if you can't do it now, why not take, uh, you know, some uh, red uh, tape or something and mark those branches that should come out and then do them later on. It's really not safe to be standing on a ladder on snow that's ice covered. Right. And for those big jobs, you want to hire a service. For example, I've told you we've got a big, big elm tree that basically had storm damage and is dying. And it's going to cost about $2,000 to take that thing down. But there's no way I can do it. No. So you have yep. to have people because they've got those big machines where they can, you know, lift themselves way up. And they've got the people who are trained to climb the trees. Yes. And so, yes. you know, do what you can, the smaller trees. And that's why it's important to continue when you have a smaller tree to do it each year so it doesn't get out of hand later. Yeah, and Karen, even before you buy a tree, you know, take a look. We have such good stuff coming out of the University of Minnesota on the height and the width, the shape of a tree, what it's going to be like when it's mature. There are very few residential yards that can support these just really, really huge trees. And think about the roots, too. Hey, I want to mention something that I try not to miss every single year. When I hear that it's time for the St. Paul Winter Carnival, I know it's also time for the State Orchid Society to have their annual winter show. And that's in the Como Park? It is. Marjorie McNeely Conservatory, is that what I think? It is. And and that in itself is such a beautiful building. It's been completely restored. Just one of those, uh, during the Victorian era, you would see these grand estates and they would have these beautiful conservatories, lots of glass houses, you know, it takes lots of energy to heat them. And they'd have palm trees and fruit trees in there. I mean, nothing like you know showing it off for the world to see and orchids look so delicate but when i was down in florida in december they just grow in the trees so we went we did go to a a botanical garden and there was a giant tree above it and there was just orchids covering it because they like to grow 
essentially it kind of looks like they're in the air, but there's like sphagnum over them, that kind of thing, because they don't really have the deep roots like our normal plants, and they take in the moisture from the air. So I have tried to grow an orchid, and I basically killed it by watering too much. It, right. And, you know, the other thing is when, when you buy an orchid and we have to repot it, you know, take a look at some information on how to do that. That You use the bark when you're using, these are epiphytes. That means that they're air plants. So they take the moisture when they're not on a tree out of this bark chip that goes in there. And you always soak those in water at least for a day before you transfer an orchid into there because that's where they're going to get their moisture. I mean, they can't wait for you to build up the moisture in that bark afterwards. So, And then uh, you mist them instead of, you know, water. You're supposed to, I think, kind of mist them, correct? Yeah, right, after you get them, after you get that bark. But sure. the bark has to be soaked first, yes. Okay. I used to belong to the Orchid Society until I decided... Orchids weren't for me. I have a couple, but because I leave in the wintertime, it's really too hard to ask somebody else to come in as frequently as they need to be watered. And they also need humidity. If you have a a humidifier that you can uh, use for that, or if you have a vaporizer, and that's what I use, and... uh, you know, it's it's a lot of extra work, but hey, they, they are high. They are high maintenance. I would say for this part of the country, you know, like you said, if you're down in the the tropics, they're growing all over, no big deal. Mm-hmm. But we went to a show one time where they they had orchids at the Longwood Gardens out in Dover, or De- there. Delaware. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful place, and they had an orchid show, and that was the time when Grant said, "I want to raise orchids, Mom." Yeah, and I said, "Okay, you got to make a decision. Are you going to do lilies? Are you going to do what are you going to do?" So he he is stuck with the lilies, right? So, but. I mean, that's it's the kind of thing where you want to have it, but you really have to, like you said, it's kind of fussy. Yeah, it, it, it can be very addictive, too. But we want to just say that uh, uh, the Orchid Society has their show running from 10 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So if you're going to go to Coma Park on Saturday or Sunday, those are the hours, 10 to 4. The other thing that's really important is uh, when you get in these uh, glass houses, they're very warm. And they have a lot of humidity. So if you've been wearing a parka or, or your big, heavy winter coat, you might, for that time, you might want to <laughs> take a lighter weight jacket with and wear that. Parking is always, um, you know, uh, you have to walk sometimes. You can't get really that close. So you don't want to freeze to death either. But uh, it, it's so well worthwhile. It's kind of like giving yourself a mini vacation. And it is, yeah. It's it's a nice thing to do. You know, that's all tied into the the St. Paul Winter Carnival. They have the cat show this weekend, too, just FYI. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Well, you know, um, Karen, one of the things that's been making the news just about constantly is uh, climate change. And this morning there was an article about the pollinator count is down again in California where the... Um, uh, Uh, for the monarchs and uh, this is such sad news to us and uh, we just can't afford to lose uh, anything they are predicting now that in uh, just a few decades we could totally lose the monarchs if we don't do something and they're saying the 
the problem is climate change um, and also uh, farming's a big one because the pesticides, herbicides, and uh, because the monarchs are losing their habitat. So all of these things are playing in together. So it's never been more important to think about the pollinators and what we can do, whether you're thinking bees or monarchs or uh, a- any of these wonderful little things that come to our garden and give us so much joy. Well, that brings me to, there's a meeting to talk about planting your own pollinator gardens coming up in North Mankato next week. And I know there was one already. So, yes. and it's the kind of thing where if you can attract them, I mean, at least it's some small thing we can do individually, but it's kind of controversial. Yes. You know, as a matter of fact, uh, whether you attend this meeting or whether you uh, write an article for the newspaper or talk to your neighbors about that, you know, uh, people are still saying, you know, is climate change real? Will this will make a difference? Well, gosh, you know, when you think of uh, just taking and, and not using all the herbicides, pesticides, all the fertilizers on your lawn, there are things that we can do here and things that we should be doing. So I want to let people know that meeting is this coming uh, next week. It's on Wednesday at uh, 6 p.m. in the police annex in North Mankato, that's uh, at uh, 1001 Belgrade Avenue. So if you want to listen and see what they have to talk about, there's people that say, well, we want our pristine lawns, you know, that are cut short. And on Monday, we had our Master Gardeners meeting, and that was a big topic of discussion during our meeting. Um, People saying, you know, I don't understand why people don't want this. And there are examples in town of some pollinator gardens. I can't remember where they're at, though. Do you recall? Well, well, you know, um, the first pollinator garden that we planted was up by what was the old Moose Club uh, on the highway. um, uh, Victory Drive? Victory Drive, yes. And now it's a church, I believe. Yes, it is a church now. But I, I mean, there just are so many of them. And there are many people, too, that are have their pollinator gardens in their backyard. Right. So, so you never see them. But uh, the other thing I wanted to say is there's another uh, program, and it's called, um, uh, what, should, what is it called? It's called Legumes. Um, legumes? Oh, uh, it's not just legumes. It's... Uh, Which are like peas and beans? Lawns to legumes. Oh, lawns to legumes, okay. Yes, and uh, that is an organization. They've had one meeting here. They're going to have other meetings, and it is through them. Oh, it's a local one? No, I... it's a state society. Oh, okay. It, it's a nonprofit. Okay. And they are... It is through them that there's going to be some money available for pollinator gardens. So... When we get more information on that, we briefly discussed it at our meeting last week, but we didn't have enough information yet to figure out what they're going to do, how you're going to apply for any of this money. So uh, whether you get money for this, it doesn't have to be really expensive. You know, we were at last fall at the uh, Southern Minnesota Research, which is in Wasika there, and they gave us free packets of seeds. And I would love to tell you what's in there, but the print is so small, I can't. Oh, well, th- you know, the thing is, there's been other things. But sometimes at weddings, they gave away free seeds and things. Sure. But you do have to make sure you know the source because just because somebody, you know, some company on the Internet sells you free seeds, they might have something in there that's invasive. So right. I'm assuming if you got this from the Wasika, this is something that's okay for our area. Right. This so is I'm going to read using. it. I can read it without my glasses, Barb. There's okay. forget-me-nots. Right. Uh, the Siberian wallflower, the purple coneflower, the corn poppy, the lance-leaved coreopsis, blue flax, 
um, China Aster, uh, California Poppy, Baby Blue Eyes. I'm not familiar with that. Something called Tiny Tips. And this one's called Globe Gilia, Indian Blanket Flower. Oh, Glardia. Yeah, okay. And uh, Plains Coreopsis, Sweet Alyssum, Hyssop, Aster, New England Aster, and the Flea Bank, Daisy, and the Bergamot. Those are the things, and so, I'm not familiar with all of them, but these are ones supposedly right. that are native to our area. That's right. And here's the thing that I love about this is the fact that we've got different heights of, of, of these different plants. Sure. So when you think about planting a pollinator garden, it doesn't mean that it's going to be eight foot tall or six foot tall. And that's it, what I think people picture, this patch of weeds right. of a house that's been left unkempt. And yes, there are some of those, but... This is the kind where, I mean, there's going to be some maintenance to it. Right, right. And so since these things are perennials in the spring, you're going to have to cut these back. You don't want this tall, old foliage growing in there. That's what begins to make it look um, uncapped. Like a weed patch. Right, yeah. right. And so you've got this new new growth uh, coming in. The other thing that I wanted to talk about today that I'm very excited about, and uh, my husband said to me, you know, why don't we plant cover crops? Cover crops up at Good Council in our vegetable garden. You know, there's so many benefits to that. It's what we call a green manure crop. Actually, when you till it in, you're tilling in the nitrogen. And um, I read an article where it said that an acre of cover crops would give you 125 tons of nitrogen. I wow. believe that's right. And otherwise, you, a lot of farmers, uh, people pay for that. They they do. And so the one that I picked out was crimson clover. I see that growing in the ditches in Georgia. It is, for us, it's a zone four, but it is not hardy in the wintertime. Oh, it's not. We, we, we can't plant it in the fall and have it come up in the spring. It just won't make it. It'll freeze out. So what I got from the extension service from our good um, agent, Shane, was Midwest Cover Crops Council. That is an organization that uh, is growing cover crops and providing information about their reliability, when you should plant them. Uh, it's, it's really great. You can go to uh, Minnesota Cover Crops Council and you can also download this wonderful document. What's oh, a nice chart. <clears throat> it's it's a great chart. So here in Minnesota for clover, for crimson clover, now make sure that it's crimson. You know, um, you I know you've grown buckwheat. Yes, for my, I decided to try cover crops because I've <coughs> read about the, the great things. I have this old garden plot in the lake house where I've grown and, and I've, in my raised beds, it works great because I put the soil in, but on the surrounding area that I have, it just didn't do much. So I thought, well, what can I do? So I planted a crop of buckwheat in one part of it and another crop of oats with, mixed with peas. Mm -hmm. And so I just let basically it grow. And then when it got to the point Tilled where it was under. Uh, no, I haven't tilled it under yet. Okay. I got to the point where it was going to blossom, and then I trimmed the tops off so it wouldn't go to all go to seed. Right. And so now I've left over the winter. In the spring, I'll just turn it under. One of the things that's difficult about the, the clover, the white clover, the buckwheat, is that um, it, it gets... Um, 
it gets runners. So it's harder to control. And so one of the reasons that I like crimson clover is it doesn't. So you cut it off before it goes to seed, and, and then in the fall, you till it under. And the, the thing that I'm we're looking at, and there are pros and cons for this, we are looking at planting it in our tomato patch. So we're going to plant this early, and the recommended dates uh, by the Minnesota Cover Crops is uh, by the, uh, the 15th. But Shane, Of April? Uh, 15th of May. May, May, okay. Plant it then. It has to, the soil has to be warm enough and dry enough. Oh, sure it is. So, but Shane said, um, now he grew this last year, and he found out that it it would do better. It doesn't, that really doesn't give it a long enough growing season. He thinks that we can back it up, um, or start it earlier, rather, and uh, get it in earlier than that. So that's the great thing about being a master gardener, about trying things. You know, we get this information, and we all have our own microclimates, and our soil is different, and things uh, uh, react differently. So I'm going to try and get mine in earlier. I'd like to uh, go even to the 1st of May with that and see how that goes. Depending on, of course, how this winter spring works because sometimes it's earlier sometimes it's later we just never know yeah and so you know when you want to do something like this you don't want to spend a lot of money because this is going to be you know this is an experiment for you and i was shopping around and looking for seeds and i found um i don't know seeds and such that's a oh that's the one that harvey always orders from yeah, yeah that that's a garden catalog and so i found a half a pound of seed for $7.35. Well, do you know where I got my cover, cover crop seeds last year? I went to the seed swap that was held at the... the um, Library, right? No, no, no. It was up the, the School Sisters oh. of Notre Dame, the... Oh, yeah, the, the, yeah. The garden people up there. Yeah, what what yeah. do you call it? I don't even know what it's called anymore. It's oh. changed the name, I think. Uh, yeah, they have... And, uh, but yeah, they do a seeds. So I had all these seeds that I wasn't going to use because, you know, if, if you have a smaller garden and you get a packet of carrots, you don't need... Three hundred carrots, right? So, right. so you just—I just stored them, and then I sealed them up, and then I brought a bunch of my seeds, and then other people didn't need theirs, and brought them. So I got a bunch of buckwheat, and I got the peas, and uh, the peas with the the oats, and that's how I got. So I got free seed, basically. Sure. sure. You know, um, I was going to say one thing about this crimson clover. Uh, some of it, when you're pricing it, it it's already been pre-inoculated, and that is really important because that helps the nodules that are in the root system to develop, become bigger, and you get bigger, healthier plants, which can fix more nitrogen in the soil. So that was about twice the price of this one that's seven thirty-five for a half pound. But here was the thing that I found. You can also buy your own inoculant and you can you and that was ten dollars and forty nine cents. What is an inoculant? It, this is is a an organic bacteria that um, stimulates these nodules to grow and to develop the the root hairs in that so that the whole plant will be healthier. Okay. So it's kind of, I think of it as being vitamins, giving it vitamins to, to be its best. So you can, you can price that out too and see, well, is it best if this is already done for me? Or is it best if I uh, just buy this and keep this separate and, and have some control over how much is on there? So uh, you might want to think about that. And you know, besides adding fertilizer, nitrogen to your soil, 
it is such a good way to get organic matter in your soil. Oh, yes. And when you do that, it also is best for, like, um, the angleworms that we know are just industrious little guys that are digging around in there. They're giving off their casings and things and, and improving the soil. So they're at work for us. You're just adding to this whole organic system. So these things are working underground for you. I think that's really great. Now, one of the things that Shane told me, he said, tomatoes are vigorous plants. Yes, they, use, they are. <laughs> they, they, they like nitrogen. You know, they're growing big. They like it. And, and he said, clover, vigorous plant. And so he thinks that you know, unless we've done it. Sometimes vigorous can mean invasive. Yeah. Well, and in this case, it might be that um, I get fewer tomatoes, which I oh, don't. Oh, so you're going to. Yes. Okay. I'm going to plant. I'm going to plant the crimson clover first. That'll be my first crop. And then as that's coming up, I am going to put in the tomatoes in there because I don't want to keep using landscape cloth. Right now, what I'm doing is I'm putting a piece of landscape cloth down, and then I'm cutting holes for the tomatoes, and I'm growing them like that. That ensures that I don't have any water splashing on the soil. But if I can do this organically, and I don't have to buy this uh, landscape cloth, it seems to me like this might be a good deal. So I'm not sure. Stay tuned. Um, But otherwise, what I could do is, if this doesn't work well, I'll just take one section of my garden out each year, and I'll just let it go fallow. I'll put these seeds in there and just grow that. And, you know, that's an old farmer uh, standard where they used to, so they didn't wear out the soil, essentially. They used to have parts go fallow and I remember my dad doing that with yep. planting with alfalfa because alfalfa is another great crop Excellent. to in- inoculate and incorporate nitrogen back into the soil so yep. I mean you're doing what the old yep. timers did and I think I think that this was a wise way to do things and when you think of organic matter we never used to think quite as much about how light the soil was and and now if we can add this organic matter and we can lighten up the soil we know that the roots get more oxygen and that is a really good thing now also i want to say for um, these cover crops especially for uh, this crimson clover you want to be sure that you're planting them into a well-drained place. If you've got some place where water stands, that is not good. You're not going to have a success with that. So just, you know, just think about it. There's lots of information out there. Uh, Shane at the Extension Service, the Blue Earth County Extension Service, is just such a helpful oh, person. Oh, he's a very helpful person, and he's very knowledgeable. And if he doesn't know, he knows who to talk to. Hey, I wanted to do a heads up for a save the date for people. Save the date for April 25th. That is when we are going to have our... Our eighth annual Spring Alive event for the Master Gardeners. And we were talking climate change earlier, so we're really excited. Our keynote speaker is going to be Mark Seeley, and yes. he is the University of Minnesota <clears throat> Extension climatologist. And you hear his name a lot, and he's going to talk about how the climate is affecting our growing seasons, etc. And we're going to have Al Bat, and he's going to talk how the climate is affecting our birds, our bats, our bees, our bugs, etc. So that's exciting. And I know Diane's. Uh, Dunham is going to talk about garden design. So that is something worth writing down. It is a Saturday. It's at April 25th. 
It will be hosted by us at the Minnesota River Valley Master Gardens. But I just want to get that out there so if people right. are planning ahead, uh, the Spring Alive event, uh, you can get continuing credits for your education sure. if you need sure. it. Just a great opportunity. It to is. I think that's going to be held at Christ the King Lutheran Church. Right, this year. So, yeah, just yeah. FYI. Lots, it, of, lots of good parking there. It's close. It's it's uh, really a, a good place to have a, a, all on one floor. Very, very easy. And I know that on our website, meaning the it's called Master Gardeners of Minnesota Valley. It's actually a Facebook site. There is a uh, an event cre- uh, created so you can click on if you want to go and find out all the information. So go to Min- Master Gardeners of Minnesota Valley and then you'll find the 8th Annual Spring Alive. So, you know, you asked me what I was doing this week. Carrie. Yeah, what are you doing? I, You know, I, I've been very, very busy. I've been trying to mix the minuses with the pluses. Okay. And, you know, my uh, New Year's resolution was to use my time wisely and to prioritize how I did things. And so this week I was volunteering at our church two days. And uh, I also went and visited three neighbors. Um, Two of them are widows and one of them uh, is very ill or has cancer. And so uh, those were some things that I did that were just, uh, you know, a delightful thing for me to be able to do. And then I started cleaning my closet shelves. And that is a, uh, a, not a plus, but a minus. Because, (laughs) and I discovered that I had lots of uh, garden things that were outdated, Mm -hmm. you know, bulletins and things that I no longer had to have the paper for. And so I got rid of, of course, and I recycled them. And I recycled those. So it was uh, a good week of minuses and pluses. Very good. Well, Barb, it's always great to have you on. Thanks. You are like a ray of sunshine. So thanks, Master Gardener Barb Lamson. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. It is 10.01, and you are listening to A Minnesota Morning on the Maverick at KMSU Radio 89.7 FM in Mankato and KMSK 91.3 FM in Austin, online at kmsu.org, broadcasting from the campus of Minnesota State University, Mankato, big ideas and real-world thinking. It's at 30 degrees right now. That's our high for today. It's cloudy. We'll get down to about 25 tonight, and then tomorrow, 28 and cloudy. And then it looks like maybe just a peep of sunshine on Sunday in a high of 26.